Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Hey, we have a format for returning to play, ladies and gentlemen. And boy, is Gary Bettman ever a happy boy to be giving that news to the world on Tuesday. You know, all I kept thinking was Gary Bettman, all he wanted in the league office was to get this early June draft to take hold of the slow sports calendar. And he'd lost Mm. that fight, right? His GMs threw a temper tantrum and they said no. And you know what? He'll always have May 26th. That's right. Gary Day. G-Day, if you will. <laughs> uh, I like the part where uh, during the interview with uh, Mike Trico and NBCSN, uh, his grandchildren started frolicking uh, in a room mm. somewhere in his, his, uh, his abode. So relatable. So relatable. <laughs> yeah. What was up with the chair that was sitting right behind him? That, that I didn't understand. That's why I thought maybe he was in like a, a, the, the conference floor of a Marriott. That's the kind of... <laughs> I don't want to criticize the the uh, <laughs> the aesthetics of the Bettman house, but didn't it kind of look like when you're when you're looking for that conference room and there's that like random chair and a yellow wall with a with a painting on it, you know, yeah. in, in, on the conference level of Marriott? Maybe he's just comfortable with that, being that he's in so many conference rooms in Marriotts. I, you know what? Maybe he just asked for their interior design decoration uh, tips. But the only other person I saw during quarantine times who had a more troubling setup was Larry David when he did that PSA for California. <laughs> he looked like he was in a Fairfield Inn, though. Like, Gary might be a step up from Larry David right now. Like, he's at the Renaissance. Yeah, there's, like, at least a 65% chance that Larry David had been kidnapped to do that commercial and was being kept in some hotel. I completely agree. We got a lot to get to. Rod Brindamore, head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, will join us to talk about a great number of things. But, oh, man, do we have stuff to talk about with this return to play, the playoff format, the draft lottery, and all of the greatness and weirdness that comes with it on this edition of ESPN on Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on Ice. It used to be the place where ESPN talks about hockey, but now that's ESPN in the last 24 hours based on all the stuff that Emily and I have done. So that's exciting. Uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, proud to be a national NHL reporter for ESPN. I told Emily yesterday. I told Emily yesterday that we should really, I mean, granted, you know, nobody wants a global pandemic, but I mean, you know, it did get us on the front page of ESPN.com. Kind of led the site for a while. So I'm just... Just saying. Um, they're going to come back and potentially play. I say potentially because, as we uh, talked about with Don Fear, executive director of the NHLPA, on the site today, uh, the players have not signed off on anything. They have signed off on a format to potentially come back and play. They have not signed off on whether they're going to come back and play. This is very important because there are two different things we're looking at right now, Emily. The super happy, sugary, shiny object of the playoff format, the draft lottery, all of the things that have gotten both hockey fans and non-hockey fans talking about the NHL in the last 24 hours. And then the other pile of medical masks, COVID-19 tests, uh, uh, hotel reservations for friends and family, uh, travel accommodations, federal regulations, you name it. Uh, it's two different piles. But we're going to push one pile to the corner of the room where those dirty clothes go until you're ready to wash them. And we're going to focus on this other pile, which is a 24-team postseason format that is revolutionary, unprecedented, and could be the greatest playoff any of us have ever seen. 
In these unprecedented times, it's what we deserve, Greg. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's super fun and it's fun to talk about because it's fun to talk about sports again. Um, you know, but as I said off the top, the NHL is the first league to come out and say this is our plan. They're clearly ahead of baseball where the union and the league are at war. It yeah. is ugly. It does not look like that is solving itself anytime soon. But couldn't you just imagine the NBA and Adam Silver being like, okay, here's our plan tomorrow. Like we're starting July 1st. Go. Um, yes, the NHL was the first to come out with it, and that's great, and they own the news. But um, as we talked to Donald Ferrett, there is just so much work to be done that we can't jump too ahead of ourselves. And the one thing that really stuck out with me the most, because this is something that has been so important to all of this, is testing. And yeah. it really struck me of how the NHL changed its tone. For the last 75 days, literally, all we've been hearing from the NHL is we've got to ethically procure tests. We're not going to step in front of anyone in the medical community. This is going to be done the right way. Then all of a sudden, Gary Bettman goes, we're putting on a tournament. Everyone's getting tested every night, twenty-five to 30,000 tests, and it's going to cost millions of dollars. But don't worry. My guys say it's going to be fine by then. It will be relatively insignificant by the end of summer. Yeah. And, and again, the interesting thing, too, about testing, and I know this got a lot of attention from fans yesterday, was the sort of, I don't want to say glossing over, but, I mean, yeah, it's the medical professionals telling the NHL this. But if you're an average fan or you're an average player and you're looking at a situation where the NHL closed down its season for up to three months, maybe more, because of a positive test by a guy who doesn't even play hockey, and now you're telling us that a positive test during the postseason tournament in either Hub City will not result in the scuttling of that tournament – it mm-hmm. kind of, it, it's got to blow your mind. Like, like even, even if you're the most open-minded person saying we got to take every precaution necessary to hear the NHL be like one test, two tests, three tests, positive, no big deal, put them in quarantine and move on. It's got to be like, really? <laughs> like, what have we, what have we been doing for the last three months? If that's the case. Right. And, you know, you start to hear some players now speak out. A lot of teams are going to have Zoom calls this week. John Tavares, who's been really active as a leader of voice, said, we as players don't want to be in a situation where for weeks we're going right from the hotel to the rink. Like, we want to have some level of freedom. And that's going to be pretty hard to negotiate with the NHL if they're going to be so hoed in on keeping everybody safe. You know, Gary Bettman was talking about the amount of people that are going to be minimized just on the event floor. Like, not just us media. Like, we are so insignificant. It'll be team personnel who are banned from being down there. And that's not to get into even the family aspect, which I think is really important because that's something that veteran players especially have been really vocal about. We are not going to be away from our families in a bubble for a very long period of time. And we asked Don Fair, did you get any assurances from the NHL that that's going to be the case? And he says... That's still, that's something that has to be negotiated. Now, in phase two, there's language in that memo that says families can be put up in hotels. They'll accommodate that. Donald Fair seems to suggest that in training camp, that'll be the case. But if they go to this situation and and guys are said, hey, your kids and your wife, they've got to stay home. I don't know if that's going to fly. And if those people are there, that's just so many more people to keep track of. And the risk of an infection or an outbreak is so much greater. Yeah, and and on top of that, like we asked Fair, there's language in the Phase 2 document about differentiating between players who get COVID while being a player and players who get COVID doing non-hockey player activities. He told us that's for the purposes of insurance, but like, you know, for example, let's say the Eastern Conference is in Vegas. Mitch Marner wants to go to Tau and party on a Friday night. He gets COVID. What happens? 
Like, 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 do you not let any of the players go anywhere else? I mean, what, what is that? So that's, see, now we're looking at the other pile. We, I told you to ignore the dirty laundry pile and focus on the hockey pile. Now we're looking at the dirty laundry pile. Cause is it because it stinks so bad you can't ignore it? Because hockey is synonymous with smelly clothes. We have to. <laughs> All right. Real quick on this tournament format. Um, I, I really, I really love the twisted way that the NHL decided to placate the top seeds who were like, mm. we don't want, we don't want buys. We don't want to be unprepared for these buzzsaws coming through the qualification round. We want games that matter. And the NHL's like, it's, it's like wishing on a monkey's paw. The NHL's like, okay, how about this? If the Flyers go three and oh, they jump up 11 points and become the top seed in the Eastern Conference. So get on your horse and ride, Boston. I love that. I think it's a beautiful way to, to fix this quote unquote problem. I think it is too. My only issue, and we're going to get into the draft lottery later, uh, and I guess I should save this point for then, is these eight teams, you're making the tournament. I know this isn't called the playoffs, but like mm-hmm. you get a chance to get back onto the ice. Why do you have a right to get the top three pick? It doesn't make yeah. sense to me. That's a, that's a problem. But again, to, to dial it back, what are these games? I mean, the, the, uh, Gary Bettman said on Tuesday, regular season's done. Stats are done. Stats are frozen in time as of March 12th. Don Fair tells us, eh, didn't decide that. Uh, do the stats in the qualification round count towards the postseason? Cause if so, there's some bonuses on the line for those people that all of a sudden may have upwards of five extra games to play and score goals and points in. Uh, do they count towards the regular season? In which case, the goal-scoring race between David Pasternak and Alex Ovechkin continues unfettered into the round-robin and play-in phase. That's not fair, though, because David Pasternak has to play against Carey Price. He's so good. Oh, no, well, he doesn't. Well, Just no, he doesn't. No, 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 no. 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 But, he oh, go- but here's too. the thing. But here's the thing. I mean, both of them will be in the round-robin. They will only get four games. I don't right, know if there's right, anybody right. close to catching them. But what if they get five games? What if they get the extra game? Or do these mm. stats live in some kind of statistic purgatory where they're not playoff stats and they're not regular season stats. And then we're going to have to come up with a whole new chart on hockey reference. So that's a whole I thing. I can't but, wait. Yeah. Yeah. But there's I the want thing. that like, extra page on NHL.com. Give me that yeah. tab. Oh, by the way, can we just pause on NHL.com? How mm. quickly did they, did you see they changed their, their standings format? Yeah. So, with that, that dark line that's cutting dude, off the stigmatized seven. Not only that, but they, they added, um, they added a uh, points percentage to the standings. Like they never had points percentage in the standings and all of a sudden because it's there had... because now they're using it. Yeah. Because they had right. to explain to fans of like, Hey, how does this team get this seed? It doesn't make any sense to me. Right. It's hilarious. So um, anyways, the points percentage will be the, the point of demarcation. We don't know what the, if these are playoff games or not, according to Vegas, they're not playoff games. If you have a ticket and you bet on the Minnesota wild to be a playoff team, the Caesar Sportsbook is telling you they're not a playoff team until they get into the round of 16. So Vegas, not a playoff series. Gary Bettman, not a playoff series. Maybe agents looking at playoff bonuses. It's a playoff series. We'll see what happens there. Um, do you like the 24-team, 12-team conference format now that we have it finalized? Um, I do, only because it, it makes the most sense, especially if we're talking about trying to keep things contained. There's no need to go to more than two sites. 
Um, I do believe that this brings us the greatest chance for chaos. There are going to be upsets in that quote-unquote playoff uh, play-in round, um, and we're going to get some fun things. And, of course, we get the New York Rangers, Montreal Canadiens, uh, Chicago Blackhawks, two of which teams were sellers at the trade deadline. The Chicago Blackhawks got rid of their best goalie. The Montreal Canadiens got rid of one of the best goal scorers in Ilya Kovalchuk. Like, they have no business being there, and that brings us controversy and chaos, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. I... I... There's a part of me that really doesn't like. I, I I sympathize with the Carolina Hurricanes, who are like, we played an entire regular season to earn a wild card spot, and our reward is no significant advantage outside of where the bench is on the ice, and then we get to yeah. play the Rangers. Like, I, I, my heart but like goes out to them. Also, a global pandemic happened. Yeah, I know, I know. Listen, I understand, and I understand. I've, I've heard from some people associated with the Rangers about the Hurricanes being whiners, but all I'm saying is that their contention, from what I gather, is that there were better ways to do this through maybe a weighted round robin format or something that rewards teams for their achievement in the regular season. Dude, they had like 81 points in 68 games. What do they get out of it? They get nothing. They get they get they have to play five five games against Artemi Panarin and and uh, Shishurkin and Lundqvist. I mean, come on. Um, so I understand the plight there, but overall, again, 2014 playoff for a guy who as on this very podcast has been lobbying for them to expand the playoffs to at least 20 teams. I could do without the Blackhawks and the Canadians, you know that, but 24 teams, 77%. Emily, this is a greater percentage of teams than when we had 21 teams in the league and 16 got in. That's how many teams are getting in the postseason. It's crazy. It's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be a one-time only deal. It's going to be like March Madness with games starting at noon, going throughout the day. You could bet the hell out of them, which is going to be amazing. Listen, there's a lot of problems with the format. There's a lot of problems with conceiving how they're going to get to play that format. The format itself, it's kind of fun. That said, reseed the damn teams. Come on. Why, why, <laughs> why, why is the NHL again hung up on this bracketing nonsense? Reseed the teams. If you are the top seed of the Eastern Conference and you're Boston, there's no reason why – well, okay, there's every reason why you'd want to play Toronto. But there's no reason why you should have to play Columbus when, <laughs> if, if, like, the 12 seed or the 11 seed is available for you to play. So I completely agree with the players. Reseed the teams. Any final thoughts on this playoff format? We'll talk about the draft lottery after our guest. The only thing I'm curious about is what the new normal will look like after this. I don't want to use another pandemic buzzword in here. Um, but what precedent this could set? Um, I don't believe we're getting 2014 playoffs moving forward unless the NHL is like, this is so amazing. We could make so much extra money. Let's do it. I don't think that's happening. Um, but I do wonder about the schedule because we now have Gary Bettman pretty much hinting and giving us Easter eggs that next season could begin at the Winter Classic, a.k.a. January. Is that the new schedule going forward? I know it would make the Dallas Stars and their owner very happy because he hates competing against high school football in the fall. Um, (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, I do think that hockey is best played as this winter sport. Um, there's all the problems of playing late into the summer and the ice. Um, but it will be interesting because, as Gary Bettman said yesterday, they've never really thought about changing the schedule, but they've never had data points to be able to draw on, and now they will have that. 82 games starting in January. Okay. What are we gonna do? There's no way they can do 82 games in January. That is, I know that, Gary's that's what that. they're going to do. That's They said 82 games. Double headers. Just like baseball. That's what we'll do from, from, from this point on. Good God. All right, let's get let's get to our our guest. And now joining us on the line is Rod Brindamore, the coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. And Rod, 
Uh, we just got to get your reaction. The NHL is going to return, hopefully, with 24 teams, including yours, who would play the New York Rangers uh, in a play-in round. Uh, what are your reaction? Well, I mean, hopefully it, it happens, and it would be great. Um, you know, I think the, the easiest thing was getting this part done, quite frankly. I mean, I think we all could have figured this out and played, whether it was 16 teams or 20 or 24 or everybody. I mean, that seems to be the easiest thing. The hard part now is, to me, is going to be how they figure all this out logistically. And um, that's the, the work in progress part. I think it's going to be interesting how it all shakes out. Uh, Jordan Martinuk kind of uh, blew up the spot on you guys being one of the teams that uh, didn't vote for the NHLPA's mm-hmm. approval of this format. From what I gather, um, it has to do with the fact that you guys are a wild card team. And, and this format does not give you guys much benefit for having what you accomplished in the regular season. You'd think that maybe a more weighted round robin kind of format would have benefited you guys more, considering you were in a playoff spot when this thing stopped, huh? Wow. I think that's pretty clear. I think, I think, you know, first of all, you know, his comments are dead on. We want to play and, and we understood that, you know, there might have been some teams, you know, whether 16 field, 18. I mean, there, you, you, you understood that. that. That wasn't really the issue. I think the bigger issue felt like, and especially our guys was what was the 68 games we played for? Like, what did we grind for? What are we, you know, that the bulk of the season was completed and they just threw that out. And I think that's how they felt. And I, and that's, I think that's a little bit justifiable in a way. And, you know, why not carry the points over that you have? If we're playing in, I think that the thought was if you're playing in five, six, seven games, however, we could easily have all had the same amount of games, figured that out. That would have been your plan and then take your points with you and see how you end up. Would have probably been the way that I think the guys would have felt, you know, fair, I guess is the best way to put it. But we, we understand. Nobody really cares at the end of the day. Um, you know, they, they want to see hockey. We want to get back to playing. Um, is it the best way to do it? Probably not in, in, in my opinion, but I hope we can play. And, you know, once they get this format figured out as far as not the format necessarily, but how we're going to do it, nobody's going to talk about this, you know, whether it's fair or not fair. It doesn't matter. We're, we're moving on and we're going to try to do our best. Coach, we've had such a long layoff between games, and I almost forget what the health status is of every team. But I'm curious, do you have any injured players that you think could come back or the guys that you've been checking in right. on their rehab process? Yeah. I mean, we were one of those teams that we had a lot of injuries, actually, at the end, even though we were actually playing pretty well. We, we, Dougie Hamilton was out, you know, uh, probably be able to return now. You know, especially if this, if we don't start till what it sounds like. So he'll definitely be, be ready to go. So that's a huge bonus. And then we traded for Sammy Vatten at the trade deadline, but mm-hmm. he came and he was actually injured. And we kind of, we thought he was going to be able to play. We were told, you know, he was going to be able to play, but he, he wasn't. So he, he would have been iffy at best, you know, had we started. And now, you know, that, that takes that out of the equation. So that's an interesting one just because we had never seen him uh, play with us or practice. Wow. Yeah. So, that that is a wild card, but that's a pretty good wild card. I like having that one, you know, in the in the hole there. So those two guys are, you know, that's a big addition. And uh, and you know, Brett Pesci went down too for the year, yeah. and not sure. You know, that's a long, long shot because his injury was, you know, almost a six month injury. But if you go back to when we did it, and I think it was in March when he had his surgery, suddenly now you start thinking, well, maybe who knows. You know, how does that look and if he's available? So that one's more of a long shot, but 
for sure those two guys I mentioned, Dougie and, and Sammy, will be you know interesting to see how that works out. Uh, you know where they're at when we get ready to go. You mentioned practice. Got to ask you about this return to training facilities that's going to be happening within the next couple of weeks. What are your expectations for that? It's voluntary for the players. Uh, very small groups of guys can be there at the same time. Are you as a coach already kind of noodling through ways that you're going to approach this thing? Because I, I, if, if yeah. memory serves, you can't even be on the ice with those guys, can you? Right, right. Well, that's – I mean, they sent out – the league sent out a – I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's oh, yeah. pretty intense protocol. And I'm like, how are we going to do that? Like, how are you going to manage that and figure that out and, you know, get to bring in people to monitor the people coming in and out of the door? And just, to me, it's just, it's a lot, right? And we're, we're as a group, trying to figure that out. Um, it's it's going to be interesting, obviously, but uh, the stuff you have to do, the times, they are what they are. Uh, trying to navigate it, it sounds really like there's really nothing for the coaches can do or do, so it's up to the players to kind of, you know, figure out how they're going to go for a while. I think really what we need, to be quite honest, is some dates, right? Like we need some dates as far as, okay, training camp's going to start this date. Now, you know, do you really want guys coming in? If, if we're talking July 15th as a training camp, we're not even in June yet. Uh, you know, you got to remember, for me, the bigger issue is guys away from their families and stuff. Like, I mean, that's, to me, the biggest issue. we got guys in Europe, are they coming back? Do you have to quarantine them? Um, are they going to be away from their families that whole time? Then they should probably stay home until the last minute because this could be mm. a long run, you're hoping. Mm. So to me, that's the bigger concern that we're trying to figure out. But until you have a date to say, say training camps, the 15th, the 1st, or whatever, then it's kind of hard to really sink your teeth into planning uh, you know, for that stuff. But really the, my major concern, honestly, is just the guys and you know how they're going to handle – with their families. I mean, that's to me, and no one's really figured that out. So that's, that's the big question. How many guys are around the Raleigh area right now that you do believe will be able to participate in phase two? Uh, we, I, I think right about now we have about eight guys that stayed pretty much, you know, really from the get go, didn't go anywhere. Um, like I mentioned Dougie Hampton, he was injured. So he was rehabbing. So he's the one guy that, uh, you know, still trying to kind of go through the daily routine. Everyone else is kind of doing their own thing um, and kind of waiting for things to open up and, you know, all this phase two and whatever, how that affects everybody. But uh, so we have a, a decent amount of guys around here. Again, those guys I'm less concerned about. It's the guys that are far away that have to travel here. What are what are the restrictions going to be put on and when they do get here? Because that's the planning part. And if you have to quarantine a guy for two weeks, well, then he better get here sooner than later. Um, mm-hmm. but then yeah. I, my other point was, if you're from, you know, you're going to be away from your family from that long, how, how is this all going to shake out? So those are the issues that are not even hockey related that are really the biggest concern. Let me ask you something hockey related. So you pull this, uh, this matchup with the Rangers in the first round. Now I'm looking at this record you had against them this season. Yeah. Oh, four and oh, outscored 17, yeah. 17 to nine. Now I don't know how many of those games you had without Dougie. Or, you know, obviously you had all of them without Sammy. But does this matchup give you pause? Or is it a situation where we all go into this having hit the reset button? Yeah. You know, again, that's how the stats don't look very good. And if you pull up the last 40 <laughs> games we played them, that doesn't look good either. Trust me. You don't have to. I'll tell you. I think we're like 31-9 and nine or something. Like it's, <laughs> or the other way. And, and, and so, you know, that's not a good stat. But, you know. 
then you want to really pinch the numbers a little bit and watch the games. It's, you know, obviously we've already done that, but three of the four games, I thought we were the better team this year. So, you know, that, that's, that's again, you know, it's a bit skewed and does it really matter when we hit the playoffs? I'm not sure. I mean, we went against Washington last year in the playoffs and we were all three and one when we hit them. So it, it, you know, I think they'll say the same thing. It's, it's a whole new season and it is, I mean, this is literally a whole new season when, and when, and if we get going. So, I think you can kind of throw a lot of that out the window. One of the things the NHL still has to decide is if they're going to reseed after that first round, whatever we're going to call it, or um, or bracket it. Do you have an opinion on which one you think would be better? Yeah, I don't care. I'll be quite honest with you. The hardest thing, and I guess this goes back to your first question about you know the comments that Martin have made, and the hardest thing about you know, winning the Stanley Cup. Is just to me, it's getting into the playoffs. That's your first stage. You go, you know, you play 82 games. You go seven months or six months to get into that. Then I think it's it's wide open. I mean, I think getting in is the hardest thing. So they've established that 24 teams essentially have gotten in. In my opinion, I think it. it you know, you can reseed. You can do whatever you want. I, I really don't know that it's going to make much difference in my opinion, especially when you're taking away. Uh, well, I would think you would take away anything so-called home court advantage or home ice advantage. I mean. There's just so many other variables now that are popping in that uh, I just I don't think that you know it matters much. It's crazy to me to think about like you guys going on a postseason run and not having that crowd. I, I can't even conceive what that's like because y- you feed off it, and 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 it's such a it's such a part of what the Hurricanes are right now to have that backing on home ice. Mm-hmm. To think about you guys often. You know, some other guys, other teams, barn without anybody in the building. It's just, it's kind of hard to figure out what that's going to look like in a, in a playoff series. Yeah, that to me is something that hasn't been talked about enough. I, I think that's just that's a big, big factor. Um, you know, our sport, especially. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but the emotional, you know, impact that that, that has, especially playoff hockey in a, in a in a building in the NHL, is something special and. Uh, it's it's hard to weight it. It's hard to tell you how much impact it has on the game, you know. Mm-hmm. And do, I do think the competitive nature of the players, you know, will will kind of take over at some point. But I think there's going to be a big lull at the start of these games, and it's going to be interesting to just see, you know, if it carries all through, or does it, like I said, is that competitive nature fire up the guys, and kind of like you do when you're playing in the summer, you know, and yeah. doesn't there's nothing on the line, and all of a sudden, you know, because they're fighting each other and just over a, a Gatorade, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just wonder <laughs> wonder how, when, and if that all kicks in. But uh, yeah. it's going to be really tough, I think, at first to play when there's absolutely zero, you know, emotion in the building. Coach, last one for me. You and I have talked about the importance of working out before. I just need to know, what does a Rod Brindamore pandemic training mm-hmm. camp look like? How tough is this conditioning? Um, what could the guys yeah. expect? Well, I don't know if I can say that right now. What what is it going to? Are you asking what it's going to look like when we get back? Or yes, in training camp. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I, there's no testing, from what I've read. I read that right away. So the players got that in right away. They knew they were they were smart. We, they don't want any part of that. And I agree. They, they, they you know that's 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 good. I think it's going to be way different, uh, only because it's it's not like a training camp where you got 50 guys and you got you know you have three weeks to, you know, practice and then play six meaningless games in preseason. And you got all that build up before things start ramping up. It'll be way more almost as if you just 
pick up where he left off. You know, obviously the missing part is going to be monitored. And, and you know, you just can't come out of the gate and go hard. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to, you have to ramp it up. And, you know, that's where I'll have to rely a lot on my strength coaches and stuff. Just, okay, how are we going to do this? Because I, I think I'd probably err on being a little too aggressive at, at the beginning. But it's all about peaking right away at that, that you know, the first game. Because I don't, I can't see that they're going to play a bunch of meaningless games. Real quick, last one for me. And thanks for your time, Rod. Um, we have a format. We know what it's going to look like. As you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, there's so much out there that we don't know, including whether the players will even vote to come back. Can you allow yourself to get excited about this, knowing that there's so much uncertainty left to be settled? Yeah, I think initially it was excitement just because it felt like, oh, it's going to happen, you know, and then you watch, you know, the press conference and you say, oh, it it looks pretty exciting. We're going to have some hockey. And then you start (laughs) <laughs> okay, the next day we're figuring out how we're going to do all this. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, how, how is this actually? And then this is just to get us going here when we know the variables we can control, you know, putting all these people and teams in a place and, you know, how are you going to work out? Where are you going to go? Who's, you know, where are you staying? What's the practice like? Yeah, I, I, all the questions just start coming in and you're like, I have no idea how that's going to work. So yeah. somebody I assume is fig- trying to figure this out, but it's, to me, that's the hardest part. I, figuring out the format, we, like I said, I think that's pretty easy to do. I mean, but now the work begins for everybody to try to figure out how can we make this work. Awesome, Coach. Well, we really appreciate your time, and we can't wait for the next time we see you in a rink whenever that might be. So thank you so much. Yeah. Of course, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Well, that was enlightening. That was good stuff. Let's move on to something that is uh, a little bit crazier and a little bit wilder. The draft lottery format. By God. Listening to Gary Bettman describe what this draft lottery was yesterday was one of the highlights of my my pandemic. Because (laughs) even he was confused, I think, at some point. So here's what we got. We've got one lottery drawing on uh, June 26th. Okay? And that will involve the seven teams that are not in the playoffs. And then eight placeholder spots will be in the lottery too. And this is so we can have the previously established lottery odds for 15 teams. Um, so if the three, if, if say like the Red Wings, the Senators, and uh, I don't know, the Devils, um, win the top three picks, well, then that's it. Then, then we're done. But if say like the Red Wings and the Senators and a placeholder team win the top three picks, well, then we move on to Lottery number two, which will be held after the qualification round is done, will involve the teams eliminated in the qualification round. So uh, as as Emily uh, noted in the previous segment, could include the fifth seeded teams in each conference, for God's sakes. You know, the, well, you know the Edmonton Oilers are somehow going to figure out a way to get Alexis Lafreniere. Sure. They'll, they'll like sign uh, Taylor Hall to a one-day contract and use his lottery voodoo to then get the top pick. Yes. Yes. So anyways, so then a second draw will f- figure out who gets to be that placeholder team in the top three. Now, it could be a situation where none of the seven eliminated teams win their respective lotteries, and it's all placeholders, and then the second draft lottery will be for the top three picks involving teams that technically were playing in the playoff, even though we're not calling it a playoff. So wrap your brain around that. Um, there's two thoughts for me on this one. On the one hand... 
I understand the idea that you want to allow teams that would have been lottery teams that are now playoff teams the opportunity to be in the lottery. Why you don't just make them eligible and not say, like, the Penguins is beyond me. The other part of me thinks that this is way too much trouble to appease the infinitesimal chance that the same Mm -hmm. team that wins the lottery could win the cup if we did the lottery before the qualification round. But enough people complained about it that now we're doing this Vakakta format where, you know, the Oilers could end up with a top pick after being the fifth team in the Western Conference. Yeah, you know, I think about what this means for specific teams. And when we were talking about it previously, of having this draft in early June and what that would look like, the Red Wings had an absurdly higher chance at landing the number one pick in Alexis Lafreniere. Now, they have about the same chance as they had before all of this. The Ottawa Senators now have the best chance because they also own the Sharks pick. And I think it's, what is it, like 40% chance that they could get in the lottery? Mm -hmm. Um to me, this feels like the GMs complaining, saying, Gary, I know a, a global pandemic happened. I know our entire business model was, you know, flipped onto its stomach and then it's back and it's all over the place. But we need some normally. And they pretty much threw a temper tantrum again and says, give us, give us our boring old way. And I much, much, much would have seen, I would have much rather preferred to see just these seven teams get a chance yeah. because they're the seven teams that might have to go 10 months without playing. Like they deserve to get a good, a good guy. Would it be amazing if they were just like, look, you can have your choice, Montreal. You could be in the draft lottery or you could play in a five game playoff series. And then if they, they, they decline, then they go to Buffalo and be like, do you want to be in the draft lottery or do you want to be a playoff team? And then they can decide. And if they don't, if they don't want to be, they go to the devils and be like, you want to be in the draft. Just do it that way. And then if nobody wants it, then Montreal has to be it. But maybe give give right. the other teams the option. Um, th- this whole system opens up a lot of really weird possibilities. Um, mm-hmm. As has been pointed out by others, the uh, Toronto pick uh, that was sent to Carolina for Patrick Marlowe, uh, that's kind of in play. Um, Carolina's pick that got sent to the Rangers for, for in the Brady Shea trade, that's in play. Here's a fun one to go back to our previous conversation about whether or not the qualification round is actually the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Penguins traded away their top pick um, in this draft to the Minnesota Wild in the Jason Zucker deal. If Pittsburgh misses the 2019-20 playoffs, then Pittsburgh has the option to send their 2021 first-round pick to Minnesota instead of giving Minnesota this pick. Okay? Are they in the playoffs now, or are they in a qualification round? Have they missed the playoffs, or they made the playoffs? Who's to say? It's part of the fun. Um, who gets jobbed the most in this draft lottery format? Is it is it Detroit, who, who would have had those like 50% odds if it had been in a different way? It is, which is ironic, because Steve Eisman was one of the vocal voices against doing the draft early. Nobody knows why. Um, yeah, and, and the teams that really benefit the most are these middle-of-the-pack teams who get the benefit of playing in this fun tournament and have a chance to win, but also have the chance to be in the lottery. Like, they, mediocrity is um, unfairly skewed to the advantage here. Yeah, so we'll see. But, again, um, the lottery, again, gives us something to talk about uh, if, if it uh, it turns out that one of those placeholders gets a top three pick, then we will have something to talk about like a month later as well. 
uh, it really does open up the conversations for not only teams that didn't make the playoff cut, but obviously teams that did make the qualification cut. I don't even know what that is. And I, I really do feel like this is the NHL, them par- parsing it out into phase one and phase two. It's them realizing, holy cow, we have a lot of months and we're not going to be able to put on like a horse tournament on TV mm-hmm. like the NBA did. We've got to figure out a way to stay relevant and, and let's just parse this out as much as we can. Um, because they saw even like, for example, of how much attention that NHLPA executive vote got. And they're like, whoa, we can't let the union get all this attention for a fake news story. We've got to create our own fake news events. Yeah. And again, I, you can't give enough credit for what he set out to do and what happened in this week to Gary Bettman. Um, they had the spotlight. They had the entire sports world focused on the National Hockey League because they were the first ones to figure out how to try to get back. And they, like you said, they might not be the ones first to get back, but for a brief moment, everybody was like, and again, as a National Hockey League fan, as a National Hockey League journalist who has covered multiple work stoppages, including the full cancellation of a season because the players and owners couldn't figure out how to make a salary cap happen. To have the sports world say, hey, that Gary Bettman, he's got it really, he's got it really put together, doesn't he? He's like an episode of Black Mirror. But it happened, and I give Bettman all the credit in the world for working hard to bridge the gaps with the players and the GMs and everybody else and get it to a place where he could announce something yesterday that was as comprehensive as it was and make hockey look good. Hockey doesn't always look good. Hockey looked good this week. Until like you we have said, to it was a- figure out testing and stuff. It was a good PR play for Batman. So do you think that his grandson banging pots and pans was just a total plant? Hey, look, I'm that relatable grandpa who's quarantined with too many kids. I hope that uh, they, they do draft the, the grandchildren to bang pots and pans as Gary comes out with a cup. Um, because, you know, we need we need some noise when Gary comes out with a cup. No, it can't be as phony as Roger Goodell's booing in his basement. That was so lame. <laughs> uh, now it's time for a favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, the segment each week where we look at the hyperbole and the foibles and the mistakes of the hockey media. This could be the Q&A portion of uh, Bettman and Daly's uh, press conference yesterday. When, uh, our friend Pierre, uh, Gag, Gag, how do you say his name? I forget. French guy. Gagnon. Thank you. Fra- Francois Gagnon? Did I say Francois? Did I say Pierre? I just assume everybody yeah. is, is, is French speaking. Every French Pierre. is a Pierre. Yeah. I love Francois world. Gagnon. I, I'm yeah. so bad at French. I, I told Frankie. myself early in, par- in quarantine, by the way, that I was going to learn French and I Didn't signed work. up for Babbel. Yeah, yeah. They email me every day and I cannot say anything besides je ne parle français. So yeah, good that's enough. where we're at. Frankie, uh, who I, I honestly forgot who asked the question, but Frankie uh, asked uh, Bettman yesterday about the uh, media coming to cover these games at Hub Cities, and uh, let's just let's just say it's not top of the mind for the National Hockey League right now as to how the media will be involved in this restart process. Uh, but that's not the Phil Kessel loves hot dogs this week. It is the monumental moment in the history of both hockey media and social media. Mike Milbury of NBCSN has joined Twitter. Now, apparently, he likes one portion of this podcast more than the other, from what I gather. I am flabbergasted to report I am one of Mike Milbury's 21 Twitter follows. 
I'm not good on Twitter. I don't tweet a lot. I don't tweet anything interesting. It's usually just links to my stories. But maybe he saw my bio and he's a bagel snob too. Who's to say? Now, I find it interesting that he does not follow me, uh, the person who developed a scale using silhouetted photos of Mike Milbury's head to determine how bad a trade is. So I imagine there may be a bit of an obstacle towards our mutual understanding. So It's going to be great by the time that we finish this if he follows you as well. I hope so. Tell tell Mike Milbury, Milbury to follow your old pal Greg Wyshynski if you get a chance. Yeah, you want me to slide into those DMs? Firstly, his first tweet was <laughs> fantastic. Um, it's him standing there with a shoe, and he goes, ready to defend myself in the Twitter sphere. Let's have some yeah. fun like he's about it's, to go beat up a fan in the stands. It's awesome. It's, it's classic. Um, his second tweet actually lands him, though, on Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs this week, which is he writes, uh, screw the virus. Props to the NHL for crafting a new start. Maybe we should think twice about booing the commish when the trophy gets handed out. First of all, ain't nobody booing the commish this year because ain't nobody going to be in the arena when the trophy gets handed out. Second of all, it is tradition, sir. How dare you? This is, this is like, this is like saying that they shouldn't have face-offs to start the game. This is tradition to boo Gary Bettman. How dare you? One thing doesn't erase a legacy of booable instances and honestly you know what's worse than booing apathy so he should be happy he elicits some reaction although it does get a little bit overboard at the draft sometimes now it's time for puck headlines oh sorry dateline injuries (laughs) ryan had his finger going and i was waiting for the sound but then i remembered i gotta trigger the sound we're starting to hear about what shape these teams are going to be in the penguins Mm. won't have nick bukestad uh, they announced today that Bukestad uh, had a setback in his injury recovery, so he won't be available for their uh, five-game series against the unbeatable Carey Price. Uh, but the Islanders, oh my God, they're going to have Adam Pellick back for potential playoffs, according to Lula Amarillo. That is huge because um, the Islanders were 25-10-3 with him, and then they played under 500 without him. So that's a pretty big addition back to the Islanders lineup. And we talked about it before, like Colorado, a lot of teams are going to be pretty healthy coming into this thing. Columbus is another team I have my eye on. Like, I'm really excited for that Columbus-Toronto first round because Columbus was so banged up and they should probably get Atkinson back, Seth Jones back. That's going to be a good series. It's going to be a real good series. We could, we could start breaking down the series on another podcast, by the way, but there's definitely some things to be said about Greg, we've got we've got like four months to go. I know. <laughs> let's but let's spread this out. That's like I said to our editor Tim when when we did our our uh, watch party this week on the uh, Seinfeld face painter episode, which we'll talk about in a, in a bit. Um, he's like, "Why'd you do like seventeen different f- sitcom episodes?" I'm like, "Dude, we gotta wait until the end of July to finish this gimmick, man. Give us some time." Um, Dateline: uh, Alabama Huntsville. Man, it is uh, rough sledding for our friends down south. Uh, the Alabama Huntsville uh, hockey program, Division One, um, may not be long for this world. Uh, the university announced on May 22nd that the college was ending hockey, men's tennis, women's tennis because of budget problems related to the coronavirus pandemic. The uh, program had been on kind of uh, thin ice, so to speak, uh, since their uh, conference they were in imploded. Um, so it's it's not good. Um, the good news is that there are fundraising efforts afoot. 
Um, a GoFundMe effort begun uh, began uh, by the university's hockey alumni and supporters is trying to raise $500,000 to help rescue the program. Cam Talbot, probably the most famous graduate of that program, uh, is trying to help out as well. Um, it's an important time to try to save this program uh, that, as I found out when I did that story on hockey in Alabama, was a, a real catalyst for minor league hockey returning to the state. Yeah, it's an incredible story. If you haven't checked out Greg's story on hockey in Alabama, which is now what two years ago, um, so, right? it, it was just yeah, it, it was really really vivid and fun, and it just showed kind of the fabric of hockey down there. But yeah, throughout this whole pandemic, something I've been thinking about is you know what sports survive, which ones don't. Uh, non-revenue sports in college are really going to take a hit. You know, my little sister is a D1 athlete, but at Lafayette in the Patriot League, and I worry about her fall season for her senior year, and I know so many other hockey programs, um, ice hockey that is, are going uh, to be struggling. So, yeah, I, I would love to see them survive. I also wonder how LIU is going to somehow create a team in the middle of this pandemic and debut yeah. for D1 hockey next year without a schedule. Right. If they do it, good on them. Good on them. Yeah, exactly. Um Dateline Babugner. A Babugner uh, is the head coach of the of the uh, Carolina of the San Jose Sharks. Will he return to be head coach after this season? Uh, said Doug Wilson, we are still in the process. I've talked to all of our players. We've been talking to Bob quite a bit lately, talking about just how we want to play and some adjustments and some things we learned, not only uh, with our team this year, but around the league, what works, what doesn't. If you were to bet, would Baba Bugner be back as a San Jose Sharks coach next season? I would have bet he would have been back. He would have been back, and Jeff Blashell would not be back. But in this economy, who knows? Jeff Blashell <laughs> coaching Detroit Red Wings next year. Is he really? Is that a Oh, yeah. Uh, Iserman just said he will be back next year. That is bonkers. Well, you know, you need someone to... Be a caretaker. Speaking of he which. He needs someone to buy more time because they know they're not going to be competitive not, next year. If there is even right. a season next year. That kind of increases the chances of Gerard Glant going to Jersey, doesn't it? Or, or Dallas, one of the two. Uh, Dateline, uh, Buffalo Sabres. Speaking of caretakers. Jason Botterill, friend of the show, will return for his fourth season as Buffalo Sabres general manager, according to President and co-owner Kim Pagula to the Associated Press. How surprised are you that uh, Botterill is getting a reprieve? Um, to try to see this thing through. First, I have to say, classic, classic news dump by the Pagulas. <laughs> the right. one second hockey's in the spotlight. They go and they, they slide it in there. Um, I know this might not be the most popular take, but I do believe he deserves another chance. But he took over this team when they were in terrible, terrible shape. Um, and he's slowly, in my opinion, getting them to the right direction. I know this season wasn't exactly what everyone expected. Another hot start fizzled. But I do believe he deserves one more chance to right the ship. And then it's time for an overhaul. Yeah, it's, it is, it, I'm a little surprised, but given, given, uh, the, the need for some consistency from season to season, it does make some sense. Uh, finally, uh, Dateline, Greg and Emily Rewatch Club. What is the deal with watching the face painter? Is it like we don't have games to cover? Uh, the face painter episode, putty, devils, we're the devils. <sighs> What'd you think of revisiting this episode? I thought it was super fun. I wish there was more hockey in it. Um, <laughs> my brother-in-law, who is the biggest Seinfeld fan I know, reached out to me and he says, I hate to say it, but I agree with the other guy, a.k.a. you, Greg, on the <laughs> jersey, but only because of the episode where George gets the nickname Coco the Monkey at Work, and he sends me the photo of George 
holding up the jersey that says Coco on the back. So oh, man. this opportunity for referencing that for who would most own a personalized jersey. So I was I was right in a sense, but I did not identify him already Besides as the, the owner of a jersey, a jersey foul. Right. You said yes. that you thought um uh, oh, you said Newman, which I think is a great choice for who would own a Thank personalized you. jersey. Yeah. Cuz he um, sucks. Yeah, because he sucks. I, I forgot um, that Putty's face paint evoked the Christmas tree jerseys, which I think was a really nice touch. Like, if you're trying to establish that he's a longtime Devils fan and he's painting his face for a playoff game in, like, 93 or 94, and he's rocking the red and green in the face paint, that tells me it's not his first not his first go-round with the old face paint. So that was a nice touch, I felt. But the worst thing, as you said, one uh, goal horn for a visiting team goal, completely... Ooh. This joke, and then uh, also worst thing, uh, guy who owns on the glass <laughs> seats for Rangers games for a Rangers Devils playoff series just is going to give them away to an acquaintance. I can't use them. Go ahead and use my on the glass seats for a Rangers playoff game against their arch rivals that could fetch me upwards of what ten thousand dollars on resale. <laughs> but then again, no StubHub or, or SeatGeek back then, so who's to say? All right. That is uh, ESPN on Ice for a very eventful week. I'm Greg Wyshynski. You could read my column, The Wish List, on Thursday, in which I will do my best to focus on the pristine pile of clothes in the corner and not the stinky laundry and talking about the excitement that we should all feel for this playoff format. And I'm Emily Kaplan, and for some reason I've been the pessimist throughout all of this, and you've been the <laughs> optimist, and I love the role <laughs> reversal that we've adopted in the last couple of weeks. But uh, we really yeah. appreciate you guys, as always. Uh, thank you for listening, especially this long. If you made it this long, you do love us. And yeah, all I got to say is, yeah, it's bye. A real, it's a real Mulder Scully kind of vibe now. <laughs> Anyways, bye. Bye. <laughs>